All right, welcome back to our second episode of Fight or Flight. I'm Seamus, and I'm here with my buddy Bird. Bird, how are you doing? Howdy, howdy, howdy. I'm doing pretty great. How about yourself? Doing well. Good to be back with you here. And we haven't had a ton happen in the world of the NBA since we last spoke. It was a trade deadline. There's been the all-star break is what I mean. There hasn't been a lot of games played as much as, you know, festivities around the NBA. I guess so. We are, I think, starting to kind of really do a better job of evaluating to how these trades are turning out and uh, what's real and what's not um, a little bit. But I guess we're really going to have to find out later down the road. But we're starting to get an idea. But I think the most crucial thing that happened since we last talked was uh, the one and only Super Bowl. Yeah, before we dive into the NBA, obviously a sports moment like the Super Bowl, we can't go untalked about. First things first, Bird, what were your thoughts on the Super Bowl? Who were you rooting for? What were your, what were your takes? Well, I think uh, to clear the air, obviously I'm a Packer fan, so I was very saddened by the result. And then my number two team, which is the uh, Bills, the Buffalo Bills, also were not able to make it in what I thought was probably the best game in the entire playoffs, too. I don't know if you agree with that, but the Steelers versus the Bills was, I think, still the best game that we got to watch this year in the playoffs. You mean but, Chiefs Bills or Chiefs? Sorry, yeah, yes, Chiefs, Chiefs Bills. Bills. Mm-hmm. But um, I was really entertained by the Super Bowl. I think it was the best one in a long while because we've had so many bad Super Bowls lately. But this one was a great one, and uh, a lot of that's partially due to uh, Matthew Stafford, a guy who both of us I think are very happy that he finally got his flowers. But the real question is. How many flowers should he really be given right now? I think he deserves a lot of accolades. He, as two NFC North fans on this podcast, we can acknowledge that he was grinding on a lot of bad Detroit teams. He was the only good thing, if I'm being honest, like outside of Calvin Johnson for a lot of those years. Mm -hmm. And I think him winning a Super Bowl goes to show that even though you do want one of those top five superstar quarterbacks, a full team with talent across the board can win the Super Bowl. And personally, I want that to mean that there's a trade market for Kirk Cousins. But I think Stafford, he's uh, not a Hall of Famer, at least, you know, not right now. If he wins another one, you know, maybe we can look at that. But he is in the Hall of Very Good. And I think this is a deserving trophy that he gets to add to his legacy. Interesting. Okay. So I was, I'm not going to fight you on this, but I was expecting maybe for a little bit of thought of him being in the hall of fame, but it is tough. Cause like you said, the hall of very good is becoming very deep right now. Cause I believe only 27 quarterbacks are in the hall of fame currently. So it's a very finite uh, group that you're having. And I think our era that we're in right now has some of the best quarterbacks ever, but that's just because we're have such an offensive focused league that, uh, of lately. I think with the rules being a lot more tailored to, uh, offensive focus kind of uh, teams, but uh, it's tough because we have so many quarterbacks now who have one Super Bowl ring, but many people view them as such like elite quarterbacks. I mean, looking at my man Aaron Rodgers, but then also looking over at the Seattle Seahawks with uh, Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. Some of these quarterbacks were all like, are they Hall of Fame or are they just uh, really good? So it's really tough to say because I, I he- was hearing a lot of hype uh, in news and uh, sports center and stuff like that of them hyping up as a hall of famer but it's tough because we have a very elite list and though matthew stafford has some of these statistical leading things it's really tough to to i mean put him in that list right now so i I do agree with that take i think a super bowl ring can't be a one size fits all key to the hall of fame it needs there needs to be a little bit more to back it up someone with two you know an eli manning i think does deserve to be in but it, you, I agree. It has to be, there's a lot of people in the hall of very, very good. And I think that's not a bad, I don't think that's a bad thing. And to separate yourself, you have to do a little bit more than just win one ring. Out of curiosity, I know we're getting a little distracted from the Super Bowl here, but how many quarterbacks right now would you say are hall of famers that are active in the league? Hall of famers or, or hall of very good. You, just, you mean hall of famers already? Hall, based on what they've done right now, And let's, you know, for someone like Mahomes is obviously like a tough person in that conversation. Let's Mm -hmm. say assuming, you know, above average production to what we would expect uh, of them. 
So you're saying that they continue and they don't peter off drastically from where they are right now? Yes. Assuming no one falls off a cliff, who would you say are Hall of Fame quarterbacks in the league right now? So first off, I mean, the obvious answer I'll say is Aaron Rodgers, though I will note and concede that this past season has dropped him drastically in my rankings. I had Aaron Rodgers in my top 10 quarterbacks of all time. And sometimes on any given uh, year uh, or past week of that season two in my top five uh he's dropped drastically in that list since uh since then and sometimes even out of my top 10 entirely but i think that doesn't mean that he's not a top uh like hall of fame quarterback for sure so he's a lock absolutely mm-hmm. aaron Rodgers, i think Pat- patrick mahomes has already kind of shown off with the seasons and like amount of already super bowl appearances that if he doesn't peter out drastically He'll obviously be in there. We don't even need to mention Tom Brady because he's not in the league anymore, and everybody already knows that. I mean, goat quarterback of all time. So he like, could have obviously. he could have split his career into three parts, and he would have been a Hall of Famer for all three. Oh, for sure. Um, other than that, uh, it's tough because Russell Wilson, I think, is in the Hall of Very Good, and I don't want to put him in the uh, that conversation quite yet. And I also uh, other quarterbacks too. Uh, looking at the Texans and looking at um, even uh, it's tough because. If we're looking at the Steelers as well, even though he's also out of the league, I don't know if I put Ben Roethlisberger as well in that uh, list as well of uh, Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Because sure, his initial appearances were amazing, but then how much does the second half of your season with how poor or not second half of your season, sorry, second half of your career, how much does that really tarnish your legacy? Yeah, it's hard to take away anyone's accomplishments. And I think the thing that Ben has going for him is that he did have good Steelers teams, even though he was not playing well. They made the playoffs like almost every year. They made it even this year Mm -hmm. when he was easily a bottom five quarterback, I would say, starting quarterback. And those teams still succeeded despite him, which I think is a testament to maybe how he played the game. I would say Ben is the next lock again, you know, he's retired, but you know, out of people who have been active in this last year, I think the conversation really then goes to your Russ Russell Wilson's your Matt Ryan's um, Matt Ryan is tough. He won an MVP. He did win an MVP one year. It's true. I don't know if I would have even said he was the best quarterback that year though. He was just the best statistical quarterback. Yeah. It's, it's hard to say exactly, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the list right now and I don't think there's too many people. You hope your Josh Allen's your Mahomes keep up the trajectory and maybe look like that person, but we'll see. Josh Allen has the best physical gifts in the league. I think if he reaches the same uh, mindset that you're seeing from a Tom Brady and has that IQ and throwing ability and just smartness in offense, like you're seeing from uh, other current quarterbacks, like uh, your, um, uh, Kyler Murray's and your and your Patrick Mahomes you're also going to be seeing just incredible uh quarterback who might even be the greatest quarterback of all time just because of the pure physical gifts that you're seeing from Josh Allen I don't think we've seen one within our era at least that could be what Josh Allen is right now wow big statement I agree with you though in that in the gifts and I think that's what you're looking at the NFL to kind of transition it to our NBA topic you're looking for those quarterbacks that are the Steph Curry type players that can make their own shot. You know, and that Mm -hmm. was the whole game. The chiefs versus the bills is these fourth downs where Mahomes and Allen are running around and making a play out of nowhere, out of nothing, just buying themselves enough time. And those quarterbacks are the next guys that are going to be your hall of famers, your superstars, the dynasty leading players. So it's exciting to see kind of a new wave, a new type of quarterback really making plays. I couldn't agree more. It's also, I don't know if it's unfortunate or fortunate that they're in the same division since they'll be fighting each other so much that they might even have a little bit of diminished uh, legacies just because of the fact that we're not going to see as many Super Bowl appearances from both just because they're always going to be fighting each other. In the same conference, yeah, they they will be meeting, I'm sure, a lot. And Burrow and Herbert are all going to be doing that. Herbert and Mahomes especially being in the same division. Let's uh, let's transition over to our NBA takes. So to kind of reframe again, the podcast and what we're hoping to do here, we're hoping to talk about some NBA talkers, give you a little bit of analysis, but we want to do it with a little bit of takes, you know, in there, we're going to stand to our guns. So 
Bird, you're the hot takes guy. You have two hot takes you want to bring. I got one hot take, and then we'll talk a little bit about some NBA talkers after that. So first things first, Bird, what's on your mind? What's your uh, what's your take right now on the NBA? All right. Well, first off the bat, I want to give a little bit of representation to my second favorite player in the entire league because, sure, he's in the top three uh, in talks for the MVP, but just because you're in the top three, I feel like you, some players get talked about a lot less than others. And it's incredibly infuriating. Uh, we can maybe get into the details of why that is, but that's sometimes a little bit iffy. And you can get into a little bit of a tinfoil hat with that. But apart from that, I think that Jokic is easily one of the best players in the league right now, probably top three. And slowly creeping up into what I believe is if just like we were talking about with our quarterbacks, if he keeps on this same trend and doesn't drop down too much, he'll easily be in one of my GOAT contentions. And I think already at his peak right now is already better than one of the goats that we have currently as one of our like historic goats that we consider. One of our and, kind of Mount Rushmore's of certain player of certain positions, certain players. Yes. I don't know if I'd say Mount Rushmore, but Dirk Nowitzki is a man that we both consider a goat. And I already think that if I had to take a peak Dirk Nowitzki or a peak Jokic, I am taking Jokic. Okay. And I think that's due to the muscle development that Jokic has had. He's able to be beaten around a lot more than Dirk Nowitzki can. He has. What are you, his trainer? You out here <laughs> developing <laughs> his muscles? What is going on here? <laughs> I mean, it's just funny because we all talked about this man like he was like a out of shape scrub his first like few few years that he was really getting in the limelight, but now he's really developed into an elite defender. So. Already, I'd say his defense is better than what we saw with Dirk Nowitzki. He's a better passer easily. And we can already talk about that where he's on arguably maybe even Magic Johnson levels soon. Uh, But Dirk Nowitzki Nowitzki is great. Obviously, one of the best mid-range shooters of all time. But the efficiency that we're seeing from shots by Nikola Jokic, both in the mid-range, in the paint, and beyond the three, are all much better in terms of efficiency. And I think in a league that values efficiency so much, that's incredible. And I think just because of also the pieces that he had around him, sure, Dirk Nowitzki had good teams. They weren't amazing teams. Uh, At least this year in particular, Jokic's team, honestly, apart from like a handful of players, is a bunch of scrubs, in my opinion. And I'll say that. And I will stand by that. Uh, So the fact that he's still able to have this incredible season and drag his team into the playoffs, looks like he's about to do again this season. I, I would put peak Jokic above peak Dirk Nowitzki. It's a good take. It's a good take. I'm deciding if I'm going to fight you on it right now or not. I don't think I can fight you. I don't think I can fight you. Um, it's tough, right? We're comparing eras and eras are different. You have the 2000s, which is, I would say, an era defined by Kobe Bryant. And Dirk was mm-hmm. that dude. And he was that dude as a big man in that time which was pretty revolutionary at that point. You know, you have Andrea Bargnani getting drafted first overall, basically to be a Dirk. You know, there were teams that were going after that mold. We haven't quite seen that with Jokic, but that's also because there aren't players like Jokic. And not a lot of second round all-stars. No, but I mean, people, even someone in the mold of Jokic, like that player doesn't really exist outside of you know, himself. Mm-hmm. So I would say Dirk... Well, there is the elephant in the room that Dirk led a team to a championship. And Dirk True. was the playmaker on those rosters. I would say on these Denver Nuggets right now, Jamal Murray is the playmaker. I know he's not playing right now, but on these rosters, on I, when you look at the career, which we're kind of taking a step back right now, Dirk was a playmaker scoring-wise in a way that Jokic isn't. But Jokic is a playmaker for the offense as a whole. And I think... I think I'm going to agree with your take here. I think I would take peak Jokic over peak Dirk, but it's a good conversation. It's tough too. Cause I feel like in the past few years, since his absence, Jamal Murray's role is probably going to be coming back as a slightly different position. I can see him more as a Kobe Bryant than I will see him as a magic Johnson. Uh, I mean, Jamal Murray is going to come back. I think more as a really good spot up shooter and an incredible offensive and hopefully as well, defensive presence. Uh, but I think Jamal or uh, Jokic will be that man who's going to be, as like you said, the offense runs around and will be that dude when it comes to playmaking. Yeah, yeah. Which is incredible for a center. Would you put Dirk as the uh, 
best big man shooter of all time? Ooh, that's tough. Uh, best big man shooter of all time. I'd have to, I'd have to really dig into that because there's a lot of great ones. And also I hear a lot of talk right now too, even bringing it to more modern context that the best center in the league and the most talented, even spot up shooter center I hear is Embiid. I, I Embiid's great. I'm not a huge fan of Embiid. I'll admit it, but I respect the man. And he's also in the top three in terms of the MVP votes. But I mean, look, come on, let's be serious here. He's not even the best center in the league right now. The, the best center in the league is easily Jokic. Uh, he's incredible, but it's it's tough. Uh, when it comes to big men shooters, I think Jokic is probably the best big men shooter in the league right now. Historically, that's another conversation because there's some there's some great ones coming up in there too that you got to really look at. And the problem is, though, a lot of those ones that we can big men shooters haven't always been great defensive presences, though. That's true. That's true. I have an issue with what you said. I was fishing for a compliment for my guy, but it didn't happen. I would not say Jokic is the best uh, big you... man shooter in the league right now, but I we we can go back and forth on this podcast complimenting Cat and Jokic. We're you know we're always going to back our guys. We gotta we probably should should have a couple Speaking... other takes. I think we should maybe like quick have a little aside though, because uh, I think Minnesota's having a really interesting time right now. Cat has done something pretty historic recently. I'll let you elaborate on that. And then I might have to bring you back down with my next point then, if if you'd like. Well, I wasn't even thinking about that as I said that, but how can you not say Cat is the best big man shooter in the league right now when he just won the three-point contest? You're you're right. I guess as a full cohesive piece, I think spot up, especially Cat's much better. Uh, It's tough, I guess, too, because he has a higher volume too than Jokic. I just really appreciate the efficiency of Jokic. Um, it's kind of like when you're looking at James Harden versus a Steph Curry, uh, volume over efficiency. And I'm personally an efficiency guy, especially when you're looking at the stats, when, when you're playing basketball today, that's what dominates. It seems like, but oof, it's, it's hard to really, I guess, sell, sell short cat. And I, I feel like I was susceptible to the same thing that a lot of, uh, NBA media does where you don't see the dub. So you don't get the attention, unfortunately, sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Well, it only took us about eight minutes of NBA talk to get into a cat versus Jokic argument. Here we are <laughs> on our grind. Um, Bird, can I give you a take of my own? Speaking of all-star weekend. Yes, you can. All right. Here's my hot take bird. Let me give you a little bit of background. So the all-star game, did you watch the all-star game this weekend? I saw the clips, but unfortunately I was pretty busy, but I did enjoy the uh, enjoy it. That's for sure. Yes. I, yes. I, and that's totally fair. So, The all-star game has a setup where the fourth quarter does not have a timer. They add 24 to the leading team's score and make that a target score to reach to win the game. My take is that should be the case for every single NBA game. That should be how NBA games end. It's called the Elam ending when it was originally suggested. And it's not quite the whole quarter how it was originally proposed. Usually, according to the creator, what they would say is you should do final three minutes of the game, turn off the clock, you add seven to the leading team's score. The point of this ending is to eliminate by far the worst part of the game, which is the timeouts and fouling at the end of every NBA game. Just this last week, the last couple of days, the Bucks-Nets game had 21 seconds left on the clock. It took mm-hmm. 17 real-life minutes to f- play those 21 seconds out. That is horrendous. So I think we should move to an Elam ending in the NBA. You get more game winners. You get more play. You get other teams a chance for a run. Let's say a team's down 20. If they get hot, they get hot. Other team gets cold. It's no different, really, than having a run at the end of the game to beat the clock. It's just lets teams win games or lose games, and uh, and do it on the floor rather than at the free throw line. You don't worry that, aren't you worried that it kind of evens the field out a little bit too much at a certain point, though, too? Because it could honestly almost favor the losing team a little bit too much, where certain teams maybe start to actually kind of sometimes want that a little bit. I don't know. It's it's really tough to 
fully get behind. Cause I think there's other ways you could do it too, where you could maybe try to lose the amount of free throws you get and have a more aggressive final uh, portion of the game. That's another solution. I mean, I think that's what we've enjoyed a lot this year is ha- seeing a lot more uh, of just letting the NBA players play versus like seeing it calls all the time. I mean, it's why we had discussions earlier in the year about is hard. Does Harden still have it? Does, does Trey Young still have it? These are a lot of things that we had because players weren't having to always get calls from moving their arms and, you know, doing the hook arounds and things that we don't like to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's tough because I'd have to really think about that. I would be against it per- personally, but I could be uh, could be convinced. If you watch the All-Star game, it's always a fun ending. Like this year, LeBron hits this ridiculous turnaround, you know, jumper to win the game and it's over. Like you always get a chance to ice it. Sometimes it's at the line. That's not an exciting way to end the game if those is get this ending, mm-hmm. but that's what it is right now more often than it would be with this setup. And again, you're disincentivizing fouls. And I think you can't really let a more aggressive play at the end. If You can't be inconsistent over the course of a game. You have to decide, and this would allow refing to be consistent and not be as big of a factor at the end of games. True. Sometimes, though, free throws can get exciting. I mean, when you're looking at players like like Shaq and Giannis, where these are players that you don't uh, usually get make their free throws as consistently as other players, so it can be really exciting when players obviously will try to then get them to the foul line towards the end of games to really stop them from uh, you know, getting their points consistently like those, those other players usually would since they're such a dominant interior presence. So I know I'm a little biased from recency bias from the last championship, but seeing uh, Giannis consistently get 90% of his free throws when he was so far off from that for the rest of the season was pretty exciting and entertaining to watch. And I think he enjoyed it himself pretty good too. Yeah, that was awesome. And I don't think you lose that because free throws would still be a thing if someone fouls, but I understand what you're saying it's a little bit more of a focus when you have this heavy game and you do get to see a player, just them in a basket, you know, confront their demons. So there's mm-hmm. something to that as well. I, I hear that. Why don't you give I'll me one more see. take here? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. It's I, I just agree, but it's, there's so many bad things that came out of all-star week that it's uh, respectable that you were able to get something good coming out of it. So I've been a big fan of this ending for a while. I actually had heard of it before they even instituted it to the all-star game. And uh, I'm glad that it's getting a little bit of shine. Bird, why don't you give us one more take here? All right. Uh, so another historic one I have to say is, so I'm all for respecting uh, players uh, from all eras and all times, uh, late or otherwise. Uh, but one thing that sometimes is a little bit unfortunate is that we sometimes will overvalue players once they've passed on. Uh, so one thing I want to say is Kobe Bryant's a great player, one of the greatest of all time. but when uh, there was recent conversations on these uh, sports talk shows, kind of ranking them as one of like the top three players of all time. And they were angry that he was getting ranked at eighth, I believe on the uh, top 10 of all time in the NBA 75s ranking. I think that might've even overvalued Kobe Bryant. Personally, I think when you come to down to uh, the best players you're seeing in the league, I think historically, since the NBA merger, the greatest players that usually have contributed to winning championships are a number two offense and a number one defensive player. So what that means is that they're the, they're the number two go-to on your offensive end, but they're the number one go-to guys on the defensive end that you're always going to count on getting that main guy. Uh, over 75%, I believe, of the past championships since uh, the NBA merger have had a player like that on that team. Uh, so I really like to value those. Therefore, I mean, we don't need to get into our our particulars of the top 10 players that we'd have because that would be a very interesting and very long conversation. Uh, but I think other players that are just being not talked about make me want to put Kobe Bryant lower than what he is and does not deserve to be a number three and maybe even not even a number eight in all-time rankings personally. So when you say the best, some of the best players of all time are the ones who are the second offensive option, number one defensive option, who are you referring to and how high would you put them all time? So these would, players that I would include who might even be ranked above would be players like a Tim Duncan or a another uh, one to mention would be a Kevin Garnett. So a little bit of a wink and a nod to your Timberwolves there. Kevin Garnett also was one of the greatest defenders that we've ever seen. 
and also an incredible offensive talent, but usually was never the core of your offense, but was one of the best players, if not your number two offensive talent on your team. I'm fighting this take. Both of those guys are the number one offensive players on their team. They had great scorers around them, but they were the focal point for every defense that was opposing them is we got to shut down these guys for every era of the Spurs. So even in the Robinson era, I mean, for what, how long was that? You're talking about their legacy and the legacy is Tim Duncan as the leader of the Spurs. Same thing for Garnett on the Wolves and the Celtics. I guess it's, I guess when I say a number two in your offense, that sometimes just means that you're not going to have the highest box minus or not box minus, but you're not going to have the highest uh, presence in terms of points per game, but you're going to have a high assist rating and stuff like that. So it sometimes can come down to playmaking. So even like a LeBron could be that because on sometimes LeBron's best teams, like a Kyrie would often get the high points total and stuff like that. But LeBron's just raking up in the assists. So that can also be kind of what you're referring to a little bit there. It's true. You're talking about the debate between playmaking and scoring, maybe not being the best pure scorer on some of those teams, which I do here. Yes. But I don't think that means you're not the number one offensive option. True. Uh, Well, I I don't know. I'd have to push back on that a little bit because it it really comes down to how you define your offensive number one and your offensive number two. When, when people think about your, your team and when they think about who they have to really like strategize for, I think often like when you're looking at, for example, a good one would maybe be the Lakers back in the Showtime Lakers. If we're talking about Kobe Bryant, Mm -hmm. Kobe Bryant is your number one offensive talent that you're worried about. But I would say, arguably, even though Shaq was the better player, uh, Shaq was the number two offense and number one defense kind of. Okay. Okay. That's hard though. It's hard. I can you say Shaq was the better offensive option? Well, it kind of comes down to your dominance and in, in, interior presence. So yes, we can say that Kobe Bryant could do more full all around, but the fact that people could not stop Shaq, just like when you're looking at Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, people could not stop the skyhook. Who cares if you don't have as much of a Swiss army knife? It depends on, can you just do it consistently? So Giannis got his 50 piece without having an incredible three point shot. Like the man is incredible. I, I would still put Shaq in my top five players of all time. Okay. Okay. I hear that. Um, and it's tough because Kobe himself to your earlier point of like, can we put him number three? He was emulating the game of Jordan and Jordan is that guy. I think it's understandable to put mm-hmm. other players with different games that maybe weren't as appreciated. Like you're saying, I think Kobe's right at that, like eight to 10 range all time. I think that's appropriate for him and a pure scorer can only take you so far in my opinion. I would just watch out uh, if I don't know if we want to get into what that specific top 10 list is right now, but there are a lot of players. It seems like that we're, we're not caring too much about. So maybe a good transition would be uh, so historically something happened recently with uh, a player that is comparing him to another player who's on the top 10 list, who I think is a player who though he may be great is one of the most overrated players of all time. Uh, So specifically I'm talking about Wilt Chamberlain and DeMar DeRozan. So recently uh, a new statistic came out that DeMar DeRozan was one of the first or one of the the second player to ever do having six games in a row or more of a 50% true shooting. So the only other player to do that, of course, was who I was just referring to before, Wilt Chamberlain. Wilt Chamberlain had like, you know, so many 50 piece games and was just uh, an incredible statistical man in terms of getting up those points, but I don't think I value those points as much as I would other players. I mean, it really comes down to are, do your points always win you games? And that sometimes comes down to when you're looking at your plus minus and you're looking at your advanced, advanced stats a little bit more. Um, so I would personally say that we're not putting DeMar DeRozan in our goat conversations uh, right now, though we're really loving DeMar DeRozan on the bulls. Uh, some of these stats don't really mean as impressive of stuff as they sound when you, when you bring it up, especially when you're comparing somebody to who I think might be one of the most overrated players of all time being Will Chamberlain. I think you're contradicting yourself though. And first of all, Will Chamberlain is not the former Laker that I was assuming you were going to compare DeMar DeRozan to uh, the easy comparison being play style and, and Kobe Bryant. But I think you kind of contradicted yourself in that argument when you say that 
DeMar DeRozan and that score play style doesn't necessarily win you games, but the Chicago Bulls are winning games. True. Um, the problem is I also want to see how it ends up. So a lot of players can have certain types of success in the regular season with a certain play style that doesn't always translate well. Um, I personally don't have faith in the Bulls being the ones that are going to bring it all the way. I think you might agree with that statement from what we've discussed previously. Mm -hmm. Uh, But so, yes, he does fit my type and clientele that I say when I talked about my template of a number two, number one uh, style player. But I think it also depends on the team that you're around. So DeMar DeRozan's great, but I think his lack of experience in a, on the big stage, like some of the other teams have had, and the fact that he's on a team with players who I respect, but also who don't have that experience as well, it's it's going to be tough to really say that he's going to really bring that home. Shout out to the fight or flight clientele. We appreciate you. Um, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. He is fourth in the MVP rating right now. So I don't think you can say, I. we definitely aren't going to call DeMar DeRozan a goat by any means, or, you know, one of the, even the best of this era of his career. But for a single season effort, like we're seeing right now, you can award him with an MVP with an award and he's fourth in MVP odds on, uh, you know, covers.com site I'm looking at right now, odds wise. Mm-hmm. I think it's being recognized and I think it's deservedly so because they are winning games. Scores don't necessarily win you games. That was always his thing with Toronto or the Spurs, but he is now winning games and doing it on unbelievable shooting percentages for his play style it deserves some recognition. And I think he is appropriately being recognized for this season. It's true. Um, And he does have one of those things that you highlighted as well, that I value that I mentioned earlier in the show being efficiency. Uh, So that's something to note, but I think the same reason that we talked about Chris Paul being in the MVP contention last year, even though we were never really going to give Chris Paul the MVP, we all knew that as when it came down to it, we knew the better players were the ones that were, being talked about in the top three I think even too when it came down to like a one-on-one play uh, or performance I'm not giving it to DeMar DeRozan I'm probably giving it to the other top three players that we have in our MVP discussions right now it's more of just the fact that this player was able to elevate a team so highly from where they were before and I think that's part of the reason why we're bringing him up there but he's just I mean if we're all being honest he's not the player that the other top three players are which would be Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid I hear what you're saying. And those are the other three for sure. We have to allow him the opportunity to prove that in the playoffs. He has a better team than he's had in a long time. Those Raptors teams always did get far. I think it's worth giving him this season to make a statement, allow him that time before we make a statement, I should say. True. And Chris Paul, Chris Paul definitely made that statement as well last year. But like I said before, when it comes down to it, whom I want to give the ball to, you can have an incredible IQ and really raise the ceiling of your team. But that's a, that is an incredible skill, but that doesn't always make you the, like the greatest player on the field or on the court. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, one thing I want to talk about, or two more things I want to briefly mention before we transition to a top five, our top five lists that we have prepared. James Harden, first couple of games of the Sixers is looking pretty good. Looking pretty good. He's already passed Ben Simmons all-time three-pointers made for the Sixers. Okay. <laughs> I love that statistic as well. Um, but that was actually what I was going to bring up too is uh, unfortunately the team that got to be showcased on for James Harden to debate was your Minnesota Timberwolves. We got pretty toasted. I'll give my quick Timberwolves, you know, aside to every NBA talker that happens. Um, we lost this game. It was our second game on a back-to-back when we had beaten the Grizzlies the night before sneaky little big win for the wolves there, we were never going to win this game. I was at this game as soon as Harden and Embiid were in and cooking, we had no chance. So props to the Sixers for that win. I'm pleasantly surprised at how well this pairing is working out with Harden and Embiid. I wouldn't mind seeing a deep Sixers run. It is, I think an incredible two tower situation you got going on in Philly. I think the problem, though, is I think what's been the problem with Philly for a lot of the time is the lack of depth that they have. Uh, And also they gave up some very key, crucial pieces uh, that we were referencing before. Also, the people that they have staying, I am not huge fans of for the past year. Tobias Harris, 
I could really lose Tobias Harris if I was 76ers. Um, so I think with a really strong core that you have on your top two, that'll bring you far, but I don't think it'll really bring you a championship. Uh, so that's why the 76ers, when we had ranked before uh, on our last show, we had given our list of what we thought the East was. The 76ers were not in my top two, I believe. They might have been my number four. And I'm not really straying from that even after this past showing, just because I think with the injury-prone uh, kind of history that we've seen from uh, Joel Embiid and with Harden kind of always having his usual consistent playoff performances that we're seeing. And when I say usual consistent, I mean consistently inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to be totally convinced until I see both of them show up throughout the entire playoff runs. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll see. I, you know, it's, it's back to the doors and thing. We got to let these people in their new situations make a new legacy for themselves. And I think there's going to be a lot of that this offseason, this postseason rather. This is one going to be one thing. of the best postseasons for sure. In a I'm while. looking forward to it. It's going to be a blast, especially because our Timberwolves are going to be there. Let, <laughs> I got to stop. <laughs> I have no chill. Um, last thing I want to bring up real quick, just because it's fascinating, really. Zion continues to be a ghost in New Orleans, apparently not having reached out to CJ McCollum or anything. And JJ Redick, one of our favorite analysts on this show, called out Zion from his experience being a teammate saying I was his teammate. I can describe him as a detached teammate. Trouble in paradise for new Orleans. I don't know if we could ever call it paradise, but for a little, for a second there, for a smidge, it looked like it was going to be pretty exciting. Maybe more like trouble in purgatory. Yeah. That, that might be more accurate. Um, that's actually a great transition if you want us to go into our next segment, actually. Yeah, I think that's a good point. So I don't think we're putting Zion on this list. I know I'm not. I don't know if you are. Maybe you are. But um, what we prepared was our top five lists. And Bird, you brought this to me, so I want you to explain it a little bit. Our top five toxic players in the NBA. What does that mean to so, you? So when I think of a toxic player, that doesn't mean that they're not a great player. But when it comes down to... Uh, bringing your team to that championship opportunity, whether it's off the court actions or what's going on in the locker room, a lot of stuff that we sometimes don't always know about truly hundred percent as fans, but you can kind of figure out through patterns and consistencies and what you're sometimes hearing from other players. Uh, you can kind of see what a toxic player is and see how it changes the course of a franchise. So when I think of a toxic player, I think of a player who uh, is a negative in the locker room, like I was mentioning before, and also, a player who really, I think, brings your team le- less far than you were expecting. So uh, looking at other great teams, you're like, this is this team has an incredible ros- roster and an incredible talent. But for some reason, that talent doesn't achieve everything that you expect from that talent. I think that's a lot of the sometimes due to toxic players. Okay. I thought about it similarly, but with a, a, a little bit of different framing. I was kind of thinking about a boomer bus player because for there to be a toxic player, there has to be expectations. There has to be, this is the type of talent that we can bring into our team and we're going to be a contending team. And that's where the stress that goes with those kind of expectations can lead to there being where there's smoke, there's fire in terms of what you're talking about, team dynamics, locker room. Obviously we're not in the locker rooms. We're two guys talking into microphones in our rooms right now, but where there's smoke, there's fire is what I'm going to return to. You hear a lot about drama, tweets, you know, whispers here, whispers there about what's going on. And at a certain point, enough of that, those whiffs, wisps of rumors become, start to form a picture. And I think that's kind of what we're going off of here. It is tough too, because sometimes some great players can have a little bit of toxicity to them too, that can still not always give negative aspects, but sometimes bring out some really good competitive edges. So when I'm looking at like Larry Bird, Larry Bird could sometimes be considered a little bit toxic for some of the comments and things he did off the court and on the court. Uh, He had some pretty intense rivalries with some players on the Pistons and throughout the NBA. Um, But I think he was always able to rein it in and also just be still an incredible player to his teammates that that toxicity never really took the Celtics back and sometimes brought them forward more with just his competitive edge that he brought. Yeah, I I totally agree. And I guess one more time, I'll just kind of say like a toxic player in terms of how I interpreted this doesn't mean it can't be a great player. 
Uh, it just means that there's boomer bust to it and it can go really well. You can win championships. Some of the players on my list have, and, or you can find a, a roster or a franchise in shambles for having had them for a period of time, which brings me into my fifth, uh, person on my list. It's no surprise. I am going to get it out of the way early. I put Jimmy Butler, uh, you know, what, do, what do you want me to say? I've seen a franchise just broken down from the inside I've seen a failure to communicate with teammates and lead teammates. Obviously, we've seen successes with that as well, but there has been a history of those failures uh, and more stops than just the Timberwolves. And I mean, what more do you want to define this as other than a player who literally called Rachel Nichols after a practice to bring her in and say, hey, here's why I'm not happy on this team. I mean, come on. If we're talking about the definition of what, this means this list means that's like what you see when you open up the dictionary (laughs) so i knew this was coming and uh i guess you'll know i'll have to push back on this as he's actually not in my top five list uh and that's actually because i think what we've seen in the past several years uh was that he's been proven right in so much of what he was doing i think thankfully the timberwolves have been turned around since then but I think there was a lot of problems that uh, some Timberwolves fans might not have wanted to really recognize and see was uh, they had a young player who needed to kind of get called out for not having the hardest work ethic. I think when I look at Jimmy Butler, I see a more extreme version of Chris Paul, where Chris Paul is a tough player and can sometimes be a little bit tough with his teammates, but he wants the best for them and always wants them to succeed. I mean, I had two teams that were incredible that I'm thinking of when I'm looking at Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Butler brought and was on, I think arguably the best uh, uh, team that the 76ers ever had when it was Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, uh, as well as our boy, JJ Redick. And uh, is there one other person or is that like who we're thinking of when we're thinking of the core? Tobias Harris probably would be the last person there. At that point, you would have been considered the other star on that team. The last. Yeah. And Tobias Harris was all right that year. I don't, I don't didn't hate on Tobias Harris as much as I did uh, as I do now. Um, But that was the best team. I think the 76ers ever had. Uh, And I think Jimmy Butler's issues that you heard about on the, on the 76ers were with Ben Simmons, which have been proven correct as well, where we're seeing how Ben Simmons just never had the attitude of wanting to improve when Jimmy Butler was just trying to push this man to be what he could be. Cause honestly, when you think of physical gifts, uh, what we saw from the combine uh, Ben Simmons had some of the best physical abilities and gifts out of any NBA player we've ever seen. But the problem is he just had some of the worst work ethic we've ever seen, which was exposed so much this off season. Um, So I think truly we're seeing again with Jimmy Butler, that this was just a player that wasn't going to listen. And Jimmy Butler being kind of the very dominant alpha, I don't know if I want to say alpha, but he was definitely a very much like a dominant force who didn't really want to stand down to anybody that didn't really always work with certain players. And I think those players kind of, got exposed a little bit. Uh, so I think when you see him now in Miami where he's truly getting to sh- shine and a lot of these young guys are all loving him because he's really pushing them to be the best players they can be on Miami. Uh, I think we're seeing that Jimmy Butler truly is a player who improves a locker room instead of uh, ruins it. I think when you really have players who are ready to really play the basketball uh, game correctly. Play the basketball game correctly. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> I'm going to respectfully disagree. I disagree with what you said about uh, him as a comparison to Chris Paul, specifically wanting to make teammates better because I don't think that's Jimmy Butler's main priority. I think he wants them to to adopt his mentality, and if they they sink or swim, he does he doesn't care. He's going to just be the one you know making the waves in the pool, and uh, you know that works for some works doesn't work for others and uh, maybe it'll work for him in the future maybe it won't who do you got at your five well speaking of players who want things their way i have a tie for my number five uh and that is between luka Doncic and zion williamson all right so zion so, did make the list you got two young guns here exactly and it really hurts me to put luka on my list because i used to really love luka and i still kind of do have a soft spot for him as well but some of these recent reports are starting to kind of concern me where it seems like 
he seems to be turning into a little more of a diva. I mean, he always had the issue of complaining to the refs more than he ever probably should have. And he's had coaches tell him that, and he has kind of worked to improve it, but honestly, we're both being honest. It's a very small improvement that we've seen. Um, But more importantly, uh, he's already kicked out a head coach and probably his number two player, which was uh, Porzingis. Uh, And, now it's a very much his team where he answers to no one except maybe the GM. And I don't know if that's really a good look. That seems a little bit too diva-esque, which bothers me. Uh, diva, <laughs> toxic, I don't know if you want to say they're synonyms. I kind of think they are, and that's why he's in my top five spot. And as we were bringing up and talking about Zion before, Zion's also in there as a young guy who, sure, when he was playing top 15 player in the league, but he hasn't played enough to really, I think, uh, act like he owns this team as much as he does. And it's kind of frustrating that, uh, as JJ brought up in uh, his TV segments, that any player, however short you're on with the team, it's usually a good idea to talk with players that join your team or when you get moved or however it does, you have to reach out to your teammates and really be that team player. And sometimes the absence of... Uh, action is sometimes a lot to really read into that. And I think that's why we are both mentioning that Zion sometimes has some toxic behaviors by his inaction, which should have been being a leader that a lot of players see him as that he's really not becoming. I don't think. Yeah. I didn't put Zion on my list, nor did I put Luca. Um, But I think those are valid critiques. You look at Luca. It seemed like he wanted KP out and KP is now out, whether or not that's what's best for the team. I would argue it wasn't will remain to be seen and Zion. We just haven't seen. And it seems like a big reason for that is because he hasn't put in certain steps that would be expected of him to be in game shape, to be with his teammates. You know, he is hurt right now, but there were steps that could have been taken proactively or in this case, reactively to his teammates that he's doing neither. And that's a problem for a franchise centerpiece. It's unfortunate that he's starting to remind us a little bit of another person who may or may not be on uh, yours or my lists also as well. I'm not uh, 100% sure season. who you're referring to, but we will, we will see. I think I might know. I think I might know, but let's, let's hop over to my number four here. Um, go and Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook at number four. Okay. It please, seems like you have him high. No, I don't have him on my list at all. So okay. please, uh, define this because I will be fighting this. Russ is a great player. And this goes back to what I said before. Every team Russ is on is Russ centric and they haven't won. They just haven't gotten over the hump. And at a certain point you look at every team he's been on has a flaw. It seems like maybe it's not always the same flaw. Maybe it's not even Russ. But it seems like there's a barrier and that barrier is what puts him on my list. You have and I in part of it, if I had to if I had to put my finger on it, the most is the mentality and the mentality of Russ is I'm going to do every single thing I can to win this game. But it's more of a stat sheet focus when we're talking about players like Jokic, where you're looking at an efficiency focus is really what's going to win you those games at, at the end of the day. Whether or not this is even a good take on my part, I'm willing to hear that it might not be. I just feel bringing Russ into your team for the last five years has been a death sentence for any championship hopes. This is tough uh, just because I agree with some of the points you're making. Uh, The reason I didn't have Russell Westbrook on there is because I was really impressed by the Washington Wizards season. Uh, he was able to drag a team that didn't belong there uh, uh, to there. He was also able to do the same thing once KD left uh, with the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, also, you're not really hearing a lot of complaints from his teammates when you're looking at the Lakers right now. Uh, Le- LeBron's really not calling out or saying anything ter- terrible about uh, Russell Westbrook, and you're not hearing anything either from AD. Um, I agree that he's pretty rigid in his play style. I think it's the problem is the uh, the real problem with the Lakers is that they're trying to fit a square peg into a round hole with Russell Westbrook. I don't know if I define that as toxicity, though. Sometimes I could be convinced. Maybe it's a little bit of optimism on my part to what his mentality is. 
but I just think that he just doesn't have those specific abilities that he's needed to call upon for this team. So it's really hard for me to say that he could have done it successfully um, or not, depending on his, if his mindset was changed. If you don't have the ability to, to be a good three-point shooter, if you don't have the ability to be an incredible defensive player just because you don't have that basketball IQ that you're seeing from players like LeBron who are incredible, I'm not saying that he doesn't have the dog mentality, which is what I like about Russell Westbrook. Uh, he just doesn't, I think, sometimes have that uh, IQ on the field that you're or on the court like you're seeing from other players that they just know where to go on the field for uh, offensive plays. Bird, they know we're talking about basketball. You keep saying field. <laughs> I know. I guess I'm still just reminiscing, I guess, about the uh, the NFL still. So my it's apologies. okay. It's okay. I understand what you mean. Sorry to interrupt. No worries. But yeah, so I, I just, I personally have a more optimistic take when it comes to uh, Russell Westbrook, but I could be convinced otherwise. I mean, it's tough because now that you're making me think about it as well, there has been some off court stuff that it seems like he can be sometimes a little bit too passionate about sometimes. Yeah. I think that is a thing. Let's uh, let's keep moving here and go to your number four. What do you got? My number four, I have uh, James Harden. Okay. Didn't make my I, list made my honorable mentions. Uh, okay. I think it's uh, proven that in the past two ways that he's exited a team, it was not done the right way. And I think as an NBA fan, it's uh, I'm slowly coming to the grips more uh, with the way that the league is able to be more mobile and we're allowed to let players move around, but it's kind of the way you do it that can really hurt fan bases. And James Harden has done it the wrong way. Both times uh, the way he left the Rockets where he didn't come in all the time or he didn't play properly. Uh, he got out of shape and just played poorly just so that way they trade him. I don't think that looks good. I also don't think it looks good when he, the way he did it for the nets too, where, uh, he just wasn't always, I think, playing up to the same ability. We're not seeing him perform as the way he should uh, just to get where he wants to be. I mean, I get that the Nets was a very rough situation, but I don't know. I didn't like it. Fair enough. I'm not going to argue with this one. I think he uh, he's a controversial player, and I don't think the book is written on him yet which is why he's not on my list, but we will, there's, there's an argument to be made. I'm going to go on outside of those two teams. I sorry. I just want to say one more thing too, though. Uh, The way he kicked out Chris Paul too. He kicked out Russell Westbrook. He kicked out Chris Paul. Even when he stays on the team, he, he kind of owns the team and says, I don't want this player on there. It's the same reason I had Luca on my list. He, he was the Luca before Luca was doing it. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. I didn't think about it that way. My number three here. I'm curious if this person's on your list. If they are, let me know. My number three is LeBron James. LeBron James. Okay. Please elaborate. He's not on my list. He's not on my list. It goes back to the same thing I said before. And again, this is my criteria. Boom or bust, there has to be expectations. And what player could define high expectations more than LeBron James? Every single team he goes to immediately has finals or bust written all over them. And if they don't succeed, there's ESPNs in that locker room. Every beat reporters in that locker room. You're hearing about trades. They're selling every young player that they have. The stakes could not be higher when LeBron's on your team. And we have seen teams, early Cavs, you know, um, the heat or not the heat, the, the later Cavs, obviously they did get the ship, but, you know, what they were left with after he was gone. Didn't have a lot. They're just now riding that ship. And these Lakers, I think, are going to be in a bad way when he's gone. And we're already hearing the rumblings about that, even this last week, that he might want to go back to the Cavs someday. He's looking at other players. There's, there's always smoke, and it's always hard on teammates, I would imagine. And, and from what we've heard from players, this has been the case it's always hard to be a teammate of LeBron and to your point about locker rooms, to your point about, you know, what this means to be playing with this player. There's no more heightened version of that than playing with LeBron James. I'm surprised you didn't even bring up the best argument for him as well. That being the decision. It, I, you know, a moment in time, 
And I think I, I think he learned from that. You know, the reason I'm I'm going to talk about an interview with Rachel Nichols and Jimmy Butler is because I think Jimmy Butler is the same person he was in that interview as he is now. I think LeBron is not the person he was in the decision anymore. But that doesn't mean there aren't expectations still. All right. If you're saying he's not the same person, then you're throwing out the only thing that worried me about LeBron James, because that was the only reason that I could be convinced about LeBron James's toxicity, just because I think I'd, all those things that you're blaming on LeBron, I'm blaming on the media. I don't think it's LeBron's fault that the spotlight is the shiniest on him. And the fact that when you have the most spotlight on you, it's going to always come off on those who are around you, whether they want it to be on them or not. I don't think that uh, it's honestly a problem as much just because it's not due to his ability. Uh, he's made so many players so much better. I think you can maybe argue that AD is not as good as he is right now, but AD that first 2020 year was way better than he had ever been in a long while. I think we can also look at uh, Kyrie Irving. I think Kyrie Irving was some of his best that he could have been. I don't know. I, I just think LeBron James makes a lot of his players better. And a lot of those issues that you're talking about might just be due to the media. No doubt. No doubt. Expectations are always there, but it has an effect on the, on the team. What do you got at number three? Number three, I have Ben Simmons. Uh, this was the player I was hinting at from earlier. Uh, ben Simmons, uh, I think is, kind of abusing the media in a lot of ways of trying to manipulate a lot of the ways that I was ripping on uh, James Harden for, for the ways he's, he wanted to leave. There's right ways and there's wrong ways to do it. And there's also certain taboos that you shouldn't always touch. Uh, it gets into a contentious topic, whether you want to fully, uh, I, I think we should always take a man's word, but sometimes also facts don't always back up what you're saying. So there's certain things that you shouldn't say. And what I'm when you're talking about mental health and, I don't know. Facts don't always back up exactly the, uh, his words that he's saying, especially in the, his most or his not most, most recent, but his uh, debut interview with the Nets didn't exactly paint him in the picture that I totally believed what he was all saying. So Ben Simmons is in my number three. Uh, and the fact, too, that I said earlier in, the, uh, in the, our list of the fact that he just doesn't want to change or do these skills where I was mentioning he has the ability to be one of the best players and has some of the best physical attributes, but just refuses to want to change. That's not a good thing for me. I totally hear what you're saying. Obviously you and I both, you know, want people to focus on their mental health first and foremost. That's most important for anybody, you know, not just athletes, but it can be especially hard for athletes, whether or not Ben Simmons, you know, is being completely truthful about his statements to the public, not for us to decide we're not in his shoes, but there clearly is a fundamental lack of communication or at least was with the Sixers and you hope that doesn't translate over to the Nets and how he operates within that franchise because he is a very talented player, but he's mm -hmm. clearly been dominated by off the court issues and perceptions, um, which I don't doubt have had a toll on his mental health, but have also not been, he's also not been there for his teammates in the way that you'd want someone to be on your team. So that's, that's an issue in its own right. Let's go on to number two. We haven't had any overlapping at all so far. I'm very curious if we're going to get there. Um, my number two is Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard at your number two? I take it he's not on your list. <laughs> no, he is not on my list. I don't know how somebody so silent could be toxic. He's taken a team to the championship. He also absolutely left a team in the champion after winning a championship. I'd say he left two teams just in the dust. But specifically, I'm referring to the fact that he isolated himself from the Spurs when he was in his last days there. He did not talk to their trainers, did not involve himself in team operations in any way, shape, or form. He was pretty clear about being a one-year rental in Toronto, even though they did meet those expectations. He didn't publicly invest in that organization in the way that I think you would want a star player to. And you look at same thing with LeBron to a certain extent, when he comes on your team, you sell out for everything. These Clippers teams have sold everything. I mean, the Thunder are going to be absolutely eating for years based on one trade that they did with Paul George to get Kawhi that help that was, you know, that it, they had determined that he would need. And we haven't seen the results yet. And the Clippers are on the verge of another playoff exit being a laughingstock. And that is tough for a franchise when you bring in a player like that. He brought them a championship though in Toronto. 
He did. I'm not denying that, but I think you look at two any and he brought San Antonio. He was the MVP and when they um, won their most recent finals. Mm-hmm. But again, I am approaching this from a expectation standpoint. And it's boom or bust with Kawhi. You're not getting anything in between. Your franchise is going to be in shambles or it's going to have a trophy, one or the other. So I'd have to be consistent as some of those things you're saying sound similar to Zion, though I've never heard any reports similar to Zion's where he's not talking to his teammates, if that's true. And he is as silent as he is to us in the media uh, as he is to his teammates, then yes, I'd be ranking up there. But I guess the assumption that I'm getting since I don't see those reports is that the man is just silent to his teammates and isn't really a leader. He talks with his teammates, but just he's just an incredible player that doesn't lead his team. I don't know if that's toxic or if she, some people just don't have that leadership quality. Like you can be an incredible player, but you just don't have that leadership gene. I just thought that's the way I view Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard is an incredible player. Who's not a leader. Absolutely agree. You know, in any walk of life, any person can be a leader without needing to be an extrovert boisterous, you know, type of stereotypical leader. Lead by example. Exactly. But investment is necessary in that. And I'm not sure that's always been the case with Kawhi. Let's go on to your number two here. My number two is a lot more vocal on social media. That's KD. I think we were all wondering when I uh, I was going to bring this up. I've been a lifelong, I don't know if I should say lifelong, but since his departure from the Thunder, I have not been a KD fan. And I have been a strong not KD fan. I don't know if I want to use the word hater, but you would probably want me to use that word hater. Um, I, I, think- I think so. I think the what the way KD uh, approaches social media, the way KD left uh, a team which I think had championship potential for another team that who that had some of the best chemistry and was just like a group of boys that were just like having fun together. They were just like if if there was a team that I would have wanted to be on that just seemed like a fun time, it was the Golden State Warriors. And then he left them. Uh, I don't know. And then he joined what I arguably think is the most toxic team of all time. Uh, Katie, I think just, if I want to say one point alone, it's the golden state, leaving the golden state warriors. Kevin Durant there is my number two. Hard to argue with the, the social media of that exit with the warriors. Clearly there was the blow up with Draymond green during a game on the sidelines. No doubt about it. He is active on social media. I honestly find it amusing. I think Katie's, funny on twitter i just think the fact that he's in the reply guys and he's replying himself like what are you doing katie come on now like what do you no no need to be doing that i thought about katie for my list he's not on my list um however wow i the reason i didn't put him on my list is give me a little defense give me a little defense here the reason i he's not on my list is that i don't think he's ever broken a team that he's left i think your warriors are still very good now. You know, they were always going to be good without Katie. They were good before, they were good after. The Thunder, while heartbroken, were not broken because they had PG. They had um, Russ back in, in those days, and, and they were a serious contender. Obviously, they, a little bit contradicts my point with Russ before, but they did contend, and they had heart to them. I don't think Katie's broken teams, although there has been drama surrounding him. If I maybe redid my list, maybe he'd make the make it. But that was ultimately what was my decision not to put him on. I do kind of wanted to make a side note that uh, maybe that's also just because the teams he was on were just so good compared to LeBron, where LeBron's just so much better than KD that when he left, it made a lot bigger of a hole because he's so much better than KD that the, the absence of KD versus the absence of LeBron, one's just way better than the other. I don't agree with that point. KD is top five player of the last 20 years. Top three. Maybe. I, yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it might hard. also be one of the most overrated players. It's possible as well. It's possible as well. You know, we haven't shared a single player up to this point. <laughs> oh, please tell me our number one is the I same. I have to think our number one is the same, right? Like we're going off completely different criteria. We have to have the same number one though, right? Is your number one Kyrie Irving? It is Kyrie Irving. I'll let you hey. start off. What do you What do you got? Uh, why don't I just bring up the Celtics and just say that as my drop the mic moment is just KD's uh, tenure on the Celtics. 
Kyrie, you mean? I don't think or Kyrie. Sorry, there you just still mad at Katie. I get it. Um, I know it's just in the brain of one player I hate more than the other, but one I admit is more toxic. The thing is, you can't have a mic drop moment with Kyrie. There's so many things you could look at. There's him saying he wants to be the star player on a team where he's on a team with LeBron. There's the whole Celtics situation. There is him obviously not getting vaccinated. There's him being in the headlines, flat earthing. Who name it? Kyrie's done it, and it it just gets exhausting for us following. I get exhausted seeing Kyrie headlines. I can't imagine how his teammates and coaches feel. I don't think much more needs to be said if we're being honest. Yeah. I think he's proven that he's also not a leader. So his whole stance of, I want to be the number one leader on a team. Well, a team that had great chemistry before you were there uh, was just somehow changed completely. I mean, I don't know how much we want to get into it either, but did you possibly watch the JJ Reddick podcast episode with Jason Tatum? I did not. They actually brought up this, uh, this year saying that they thought they had the best talent in the entire league. But due to several reasons, they said that they didn't work out. I think the, one of the things that really rang true for me after watching that whole interview was that Jason Tatum is a really true, honest dude. And it made me like Jason Tatum more. And therefore, by extension, makes me like Kyrie Irving less just because Jason Tatum seems so much more real and honest with what uh, we want as NBA fans. Hard to hard to you know not look good in comparison to Kyrie sometimes and him maybe it sounds like he might be coming back full time so more power to the nets if that's the case but they did unfortunately i'll i'll give you a conceit just like uh the philadelphia 76ers stomped on your minnesota timberwolves the uh, nets did also not make the bucks look super good in as of late you know who cares it's a regular season it doesn't mean they're going to win the playoffs that's again what we're waiting for here and that brings us to the end of our list Bird, another fun episode. I had a good time. I did as well, and I hope the peop- the the three people, or maybe even four now, uh, listeners may also have enjoyed it. All the hundreds of people going back and listening after we made it big, of course. <laughs> you know, here we are. This these are our humble origins. Well, um, Bird, great time again tonight. We look forward to our closing stretch, our home stretch of the regular season. Here, obviously, we'll be talking about it more during that time. Any last words before we uh, wrap this up? Not quite, except maybe uh, fuck KD. Fuck KD. <laughs> you know, the name of my fantasy leagues, this is it's going to seem like a non sequitur, but I, the year he went to the Warriors, I was joining a new fantasy league with a buddy of mine. And I just named my team right away. I was like, FKD. I'm just, I don't, can't even think of anything else. Well, this has become two other leagues that branched out of this one a dynasty league and an auction league. So those teams have become FK Dynasty and FK Dallas for the auction. So the FK Dynasty, I love it. The FKD brand is is close to my heart. And on that note, let's wrap this up. Um, can't wait till next time. Until then, uh, I'm Seamus and for Bird. We'll see you next time. Have a good one, everybody. Bye.